Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Wyckoff. I'm also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business. My guest this week is Jamie Boggs. Jamie is the athletic director at Grand Canyon University. I've uh, actually gotten to know Jamie over the last several months in a cohort that I ran for some ADs. And to say she is smart, engaging, and really genuine is all an understatement. Um, She's really a star. Uh, During part one, we talk about her strengths, the culture of Grand Canyon athletics, operating from a place of love when having hard conversations and much, much more. As you'll hear, she's super sharp. Uh, Yeah, just a really bright leader. So without further ado, my conversation with Jamie Boggs. Jamie, thanks for joining us. Really excited to get a chance to spend some time with you uh, this afternoon. Why don't you walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on and to, to talk. Um, well, I was born and raised here in, in Phoenix and was uh, fortunate to go to a great high school, uh, Xavier College Prep, which is actually an all-girls Catholic high school. And uh, that probably impacted me more than I would ever realize that, but looking back, um, I know that um, it was definitely, I was placed there for a reason and a very rigorous academic school, but also very uh, robust athletics program. And it was run by, um, our athletic director was a woman named Sister Lynn, who had very high expectations for the women's um, athletics programs. And so I had, if there was ever any um, difficulties or challenges or inequities for women in sports, I would never know it because I was sheltered from that from high school. Hmm. Uh, went to college at the University of San Diego. I wasn't involved in sports then, was really just involved in student government, but had a great experience and decided to go to law school. Um, I went to the University of Arizona and it didn't take me very long <laughs> to realize that um, I, I wasn't going to practice law. It just wasn't a fit for me. And so I really thought to myself, what is it that I love? What is it that I'm passionate about? And And the only thing that really... Um, I had a true love for was sports. Um, and, you know, growing up in Phoenix, um, at that time, everyone kind of in my age group and older, we we're all diehard Phoenix Suns fans. You just grew up a Phoenix Suns fan. Um, I still have kind of in my brain the 1993 NBA finals that shot by John Paxson <laughs> where we lost, uh, where we lost in the finals. And so um, that was my passion. And so I decided to pursue it. Um, so while I was in law school, I was fortunate to be in Tucson, Arizona, where there was a lot of spring training. And I just started sending out tons of resumes um, and was able to get my first internship opportunity with the Chicago White Sox. Um, Had a great experience there. Uh, Worked in uh, PR and sports information. So did all the stats and did all the stats for baseball. I did that for two spring trainings. I really loved it. And um, again, knew that was where my passion was going to be. While I was in law school, I decided to take a semester off to work with the Orlando Magic. Uh, And I did that in corporate sponsorship. Um, also had a good experience, met some great people and um, came back, finished law school, finished, uh, took the bar, uh, fortunately passed the bar and started um, really trying to find out where I was going to work in sport. So um, was fortunate to get a couple job offers in, in minor league baseball, uh, but I decided to pursue um, an opportunity in sports agency world. So I worked mm-hmm. for a sports agency in Washington, D.C., um, where I 
uh, signed um, NFL players to marketing contracts and also signed um, baseball players. And I will, I'm proud to, proud to say that my first ever uh, baseball player signed did make it to the major leagues. I won't say who it is, but he did make it, <laughs> but I left before that time. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't impactful. I didn't really feel like it was my purpose. It wasn't where I was supposed to be. And so I decided to look at college athletics. And that's when I um, saw an opportunity at Duke University and uh, met with, um, at the time, the senior associate, Chris Kennedy. And he um, met with him and he gave me my first opportunity, even though I had no experience in compliance. Uh, but we met, we definitely connected, um, had core values that aligned and really appreciative of him for, for taking that chance on me. So I stayed at Duke for seven years, continued to move up until I was in a management role as an assistant athletic director with a you know, sports oversight and also overseeing the compliance department. And really just met a lot of great people there. That was, I think, where I consider really where I kickstarted my faith journey. I'm at a close friend. Her name's Gina. She's still there. She's over business operations. And, you know, there were just times where she would just bring in, you know, kind of the word of God at the right time. I wasn't strong in my faith at the time, um, but she was patient with me. And uh, she she was the first person to introduce me to if God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. And I still use that to this day. Um, it's also where my, my husband, who was also very important to me in my in my faith journey. We've talked about my husband before, former baseball player, Georgia Tech All-American. Um, but he's also someone who's always been very strong in his faith. And we met there, very patient with me. So we did get married um, there. And um, um, at some point, I felt a little bit stale, I felt like I wasn't growing career wise. I didn't want to do what I was doing. And then we were blessed with our uh, to be pregnant. And I decided this was kind of my time to move along. And so I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. That was what I wanted. That's That was my goal. And so um, my husband at the time was a, a coach at Duke, coached baseball. Uh, but we felt like it was hard to do that and have a young child. So we both left. He took a job in his hometown and I moved with him and I wanted to be a mom. And um, after having my child, uh, God had other plans. Um, <laughs> we knew it wasn't the right place for us to stay long term. And I, I got um, reached out to by Georgia State by a person, uh, my one of my mentors, James Greenwell, who was a senior associate athletic director at the time. And he reached out to me, said if he was looking for a senior woman administrator, a senior associate to oversee um, kind of the internal operations. Um, so I decided that uh, although that's not what I wanted to do, something was telling me I needed to go ahead and take the interview. And I did. I was pretty much hired that same day. I was scared, did not want to leave my child. Um, but again, I, I think it was what I was called to do. So I was at Georgia State for three years, helped them transition from FCS to FBS mm. and um, a great experience there. And I spent a lot of time with, with uh, learning under James Greenwell, very much a strategy person, a servant leader. Um, so I learned a lot from him about leadership. Um, uh, a few years later, um, I got a call from Grand Canyon University and it's my hometown, Phoenix. Didn't know how much it had transformed because when I was growing up in Phoenix and it had been by that time, 10 years, it was a, it was a small university. Um, it was known for music. It was known for teachers. Um, but I started looking into it cause it was my hometown and I saw how much it grew, went from 900 students to 20,000 students in less than 10 years. Wow. Um, investment in the basketball program, um, the relationship with Jerry Colangelo. And again, kind of circling back, I grew up a Phoenix Suns fan, you know, Phoenix Suns, you associate that with Jerry Colangelo. And so it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. 
Uh, so it's came to Grand Canyon and it's been transformational for sure. Um, I think my, from a faith standpoint, I've grown more in the last three years um, than I ever would have anticipated. Um, and it's just been a great journey for me. And it's really helped me find uh, my purpose here um, and what God plan, what's God's, what God's plans are for me. Love it. So good. Thanks for walking us through that. Quick question. When you got hired at Grand Canyon, was it as the interim AD or what was the, was that what it was? And then you obviously got promoted. So I was hired as the deputy athletic director. So kind of the number two to run all the internal operations. And, you know, it was, it was because Grand Canyon was transitioning from division two to division one. And that was my kind of my niche at that time. And so I'm sure you uh, probably know Bob Bodine. Um, He's a good friend. Um, Love him. And he uh, he was the one that kind of connected me um, to Grand Canyon and talked to him about it. And he thought it was a great opportunity again, back in my hometown. And so that's that's how I ended up here uh, in the uh, role of uh, deputy athletic director. And how long were you the deputy AD before you became interim? I think it was around it was four years. Um, I've been here for seven so for four years. And it was basically to help through the transition. And when we were. Uh, successful in doing that because of all the support that we had. Um, and then the athletic director left. I was the interim um, and had a ton of support from people around campus, just so much support. So it was a really um, kind of seamless transition. And then, uh, of course, um, in April last year, I was named the uh, the permanent um, athletic director. Uh, really, really blessed to have um, probably, I think, the greatest president <laughs> in higher education, the most yeah. visionary president in higher education to uh, to work for and learn a tremendous amount from him. Yeah, love it. Okay, let's loop all the way back to uh, Xavier Prep. You said a massive, massive impact on you. What was it? Flesh it out. Get, explain what, what, what was the impact that it had on you? Yeah, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it really sheltered me from any type of fear of um, that a woman couldn't do anything. I mean, there were, it was limitless. You know, yeah. every, our teachers were female. Again, our athletic director, Sister Lynn, and she was tough on us. I played tennis there. <laughs> Very successful athletic programs. And even little things like, you know, every morning there was an announcement about, um, about our sports performance. Just little things like that to show that women's sports matter. Yeah. Um, you know, just having that representation. I never... It never crossed my mind that it was something that I couldn't do. Um, so, you know, I didn't think about it back then, but, you know, I guess my naivety and thinking I can do anything I want <laughs> in this male dominated industry, it just, I think some of it came from there and just having that around me all the time. Yeah. And um, what was the reason? So you, you, you go to law school after San Diego, you go to Arizona law and you figure out this is not what I want to do, but you hung in there and got your law degree, correct? I didn't. Yeah. What was the what was the impetus to 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 hang in there? Uh, I, I I don't give up on things. Okay. <laughs> you know, but it was, you know, again, I, I think God puts us in places for a reason, and you know, no one would have predicted that the college that athletics industry would be what it is today. Right. And it's very, um, you know, it's very litigious. Um, there's things happening that you know. A year ago, I would have not never thought would have happened as far as, you know, again, litigation and just the tremendous changes in the industry. Um, but my background um, in understanding what's going on, understanding the law, you know, I think it, it was it was meant to be. So totally. um, 
so yeah, I, you know, I, I don't give up on things and I wanted to complete it. I wanted to get my graduate degree, my law degree, um, and wanted to pass the bar. I mean, I didn't need the, I definitely didn't need to do that. And that was probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. Um, but you know, um, God put me there and I wanted to complete it. Yeah. So. That's what I was going to lead to you. You, 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 you went there anyways, which is great that I wasn't sure if you had a vision that, okay, I know I don't want to be a lawyer, but 10 years from now, if I'm with the White Sox or Orlando Magic or Grand Canyon, I will that will come in handy. I wasn't sure if you had that sort of vision and forethought or, yeah, evidently you're just a stick to it type of person. <laughs> we'll not give up, no. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Led, I, I truly, believe, truly believe that, you know, we're put in those places for a reason. So Totally, yeah. Talk a little bit more about James Greenwell at Georgia State. You mentioned him as a as a as a key mentor. Yeah, I'd love to maybe hear you flesh out what are his strengths, what he do so well, what'd you learn from him? He was such a servant. He is such a servant leader. Um, carried a lot of weight on his shoulders. His background is military. Mm. Um, so you know, even just from a a um, not even a leadership, but just from a management standpoint, um, the military man, they, they, you know, their strategy is just, they know what they're doing. And so I learned a lot about strategy, about um, how to be tactful, um, though, just those basic things of management from him, but it was his servant leadership. He was so invested in others and invested in, you know, when he, he carried so much. Um, so I still talk to him to this day. Um, and you know, every Memorial day, I know Memorial day is, um, is a tough day for him just because of what he's gone through in his life. And I will reach out to him every day, but that's how important he was to me. Um, just as a, as a leader, um, and learning to serve others and putting others before ourselves. Um, so yeah, he's just an important person, um, yeah. because of servant leadership. Love that. And talk about your president, Brian Mueller, you gave him a shout out. What is it? What, like, give us some insight into his leadership. Um, what makes him so successful? His leadership is he's visionary. Um, he, I compare him to the, um, the, uh, um, Microsoft, Bill Gates, Gates, <laughs> the yeah. Bill Gates um, and then Steve Jobs of higher education. Um, he really is transformational in the higher education, higher education industry. You know, at a time when enrollment's going down, we continue to grow. And he's figured out a way to make education, um, good education, private, afford, private Christian education affordable across the socioeconomic spectrum. Mm. And he really comes from a place of Christ. He's very Christ-centered. He won't, you know, he won't brag about it. He's very humble. But when you see how he operates, how he thinks, the why behind everything he does, it's Christ. And you can feel that throughout an entire organization. And so um, he's just a visionary and people just are drawn to him. He's actually also a former basketball coach, a very successful basketball coach, a Mm -hmm. former baseball player in college. Uh, But people are so drawn to him because of his leadership and they know his leadership comes from a good place. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I've heard things about him, heard good things about him, um, but haven't have never, you know, kind of got a behind the scenes like what is, you know, what what what's what is it about this guy? So that's I appreciate you sharing that. Okay, let's uh, talk about maybe your strengths. Um, what are what are the what are the gifts that you have been given that have allowed you to be successful? You know, I don't. I am. I would be the worst uh, person in politics because I don't know how to be anything but authentic. And 
I didn't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, <laughs> you know, through, you know, my, my mom always said, you know, you're going to get in trouble because you're so honest. <laughs> it's going to, you know, it's going to get you in trouble, but I don't know any other way to be. And um, I, I think that's the way I was made, uh, but that's what made me a fit for the role that I'm in now. Um, you know, I, I, being authentic, being who I am um, and being comfortable with that. Um, I'm not the, I'm not a kind of, you know, high up and, and very, um, I'm not stiff when it comes to managing my team, yeah. you know, they're family to me. They're not employees, they're family. And so I, we treat each other like family. So you're going to see me in my days when I'm in a bad mood and I'm going to apologize for it and love you after. And, you know, I, I'm okay with apologizing that, you know, people tell you don't apologize when you're a leader. Well, no, I am sorry. Yeah. You know, I am sorry. And I'm okay with that. Um, so it, you know, um, the way that we are in our, in, our, in our department, especially among our leadership team, it's like family. You know, we're going to be who we are in front of each other. We're going to find each other's strengths. We're going to support each other. We're going to argue. And we're also going to love each other and know that we're we're here because, you know, one, we're all trying to do God's work. But but two, we love each other. And, and I operate off of love. It sounds corny. It sounds completely different from maybe what you might see in the corporate world or other organizations. Uh, but it's who I am and I don't know any other way. Love it. So um, is there a, I'm curious, is there a balance or maybe not a balance, but is there a line where you know you can't cross when it comes to leading your direct reports, leading the athletic department, where you can't cross a certain authentic line, like where you probably need to, okay, I, I can share, I can be authentic, I want to be real, but there is there a line of wisdom that you don't share some things? Like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you always have to be professional. You can't cross the line of, of not being professional. And there's also times when you really, you know, you have to hold people accountable yep. um, in a way that, you know, you have to go through your HR processes. So, you know, there's professionalism that has to be there. But I think that, you know, I think the most important thing is that your team knows that you care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when you when you when you have that and they know that um, and that's part of you know your culture, you can have any conversation with them. I mean, you can trust and they can trust you. But I'll never cross the line of you know um, of not being professional. Yeah. Uh, we set very high standards. Um, I will you know there's I, I will raise my voice. I will not scream and you know anything like that. Uh, but there's always um, there's always professionalism. But yeah. again, you know it's. If people know you care, you can have great conversations. You can have great professional conversations. Um, and I think the, the outcome is, you know, is um, is always positive. Yeah. And so um, I'm going to take this little rabbit trail for just a second, because I think it's a, it's an interesting talking point is one of the one of the things that I have seen in, in, in all leadership areas, not just in college athletics, but in all leadership areas is. Um, Sometimes the 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 resistance to having a hard conversation with somebody, like having that conversation that you know you need to have, in what I have seen is oftentimes um, it either gets put off, hoping and wishing and maybe praying that the problem takes care of itself, which my experience is it doesn't. So you either put it off or you kind of there's this passive aggressive like. I want to get my point across without actually having that hard conversation. It sounds like you're 
okay with having the hard conversations because of the foundation of love. Yeah, walk us through that. It is. It, it's and it's not. You know, it's never comfortable, right. but it's not challenging for me. And, and what I tell you know, kind of my young my young managers when you know they're having difficulties with that conversation, I say you have to flip your mindset. When you are feeling like you're uncomfortable with the conversation, it's because you're worried about you. Mm-hmm. They're not going to like me. Yep. I'm going to, you know, this is, uh, you know, I don't want to have to deal with it. But if you flip it and say, this is, how do you make them better? When you make it about them, the conversation becomes a lot easier. But you also have to ask yourself, why am I asking this staff member to get better? Why am I holding them accountable? Is it because they're not doing their best? which that conversation is easy mm-hmm. or is it because they're not doing what I want them to do the way they want it to be done because then that's about you. Totally. So you really have to think about those conversations. Why is it important? Um, and, and who is this conversation for? So when you make it about when not when you make it, when it is about um, the person that you're holding accountable, having the difficult conversation for, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I love that framework. Yeah. And flipping it. It's really good. Okay, let's talk um, female AD, two kids, married, leading a really big athletic department. Um, yeah, I think I I think I've been around and and spoken with enough women that, um, especially some younger ones that are getting in in in. in for the most part, coaches who are getting into the profession. And there's this thought in five to 10 years that when I get married and have kids, I can't do this anymore. And, and some might not want to. How do you, yeah, how do you navigate family, kids, all that with leading an athletic department? Well, you know, I, I can't, um, I, I can't do it without the support that I have. And I have a tremendous amount of support from my husband mm. um, who understands because he came from the athletics world, what I do. Um, I have family support and I have support from a university that is very family friendly. Um, but for, for those that think that can't, um, you know, what I always say is, is don't focus on the negative. Um, look at having children and the, uh, and it's a lot of time, children all the time. And, and what I say is, is always this. And I, you know, I talked to this about our, our male to our male staff members who are fathers too, is, you, you know, this, your, your children love you. They do, but you're not mom. <laughs> mom wow. is a whole nother level. Amen. Um, and, and so, you know, as you're supporting your female staff, remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look at the time, the, the time and that um, kind of extra effort that I, as a mom need to make, as a blessing. You know, it is very hard to be a working mom. But if you look at that as God blessed me with the opportunity to serve at work and at home in this capacity, it's it, it changes everything. <laughs> you know, it's motivating. Um, it's invigorating. And so there's days that I'm tired. Um, but again, um, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that, you know, and fathers are blessings too. They, ha- they have uh, a great relationship with our children, but this is something really special that God has allowed us to do, um, to be moms and to serve, to serve as moms at, you know, at home and then again at work. So it's, it's not easy. It's not yeah. easy, but it's, it's absolutely possible. It's absolutely rewarding. And again, God puts us in these places because we can do these things. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're speaking to a male president or a male 
head coach or a male AD, what would you say to that to that person in regards to the 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 moms who work under them, the females who work under them? How to encourage it? And I think you touched on a little bit. I'd just be curious what counsel you would give these men who are in leadership positions to be aware of with your with your women slash moms in your department. Yeah, what would you what would you speak to a group full of men leaders? If you if you want to keep the best, and a lot of the women administrators out there are the best, yep. create environments that support them, that create an understanding and understanding of them. You know, just as an example, um, don't have a meeting at 8.30. Don't have meetings at 8.30. Have them at 9. And, and why is because women, they're getting their kids ready. They need to drop them off at school. And sometimes men do, don't get me wrong. But don't, but don't do that. And then, and same at the end of the day, they're going to need to pick up their kids. You know, they can't help it that, <laughs> that um, it, and, you know, their daycare ends at 5 or need to be picked up by 5. It's, and it's not that they're going to get their work done. The, you know, when you, when you are a working mom, the thing that the skill that you learn better than anyone is is efficiency and multitasking. Yeah, you don't want to lose that. You know, I think kind of an old school mentality of thinking, especially in athletics, is I want people who are in the office all day. I want people who are in the office all day that you can see them in their investments. You know, in my mind, you know, that's not people who are necessarily invested. To me, that's people who are slow. I don't want slow. Oh. Yeah, productivity. So, you know, don't look at the hours of the day that they're there. Look at their work product. And I I promise you, if you look at work product, uh, working moms, I promise they produce a lot because they have to. They have to complete a lot in in a a short amount of time and reward that. You know, don't reward people who are there at eight. I wonder what you're doing at eight. It means you're not, (laughs) you know, you're not efficient with your time. so, um, you know, those kinds of things and, and get, get that, got to get rid of that mentality that you got to be in the office all day. Yeah. People are honestly just wasting time there. They are. <laughs> so. I was just going to say, I've been in, in enough hallways and have seen the three people crammed into an office talking about game seven the night before for an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> There's no question, but they're in the office. That's totally. right. And then at, and then at five 30, they're kind of like, gosh, I can't, I, the hours are crazy. I can't get it all done in a day. And it's like, dude, you should have just cut the conversation <laughs> five minutes and got your work done. Absolutely. But you know, a, a working mom, I mean, really it's working parents, but a working mom, she knows as soon as she gets home, she's going to need to cook. Totally. Right. So there is no time. So if you want sleep, you better get your stuff done in that in, in that time frame. So it's efficiency and multitasking. 